Come, Holy Spirit, renew us with your love and make us one. Amen. Each in our own way, there was not one of us who didn't love Ryan. I knew him as his theology teacher in his junior year of high school. He drove his pickup truck as a day student to the boarding school I worked at, and he attended in rural Virginia, wearing an Army Fatigue Virginia Tech baseball cap and toting a shotgun in the cab, neither of which were allowed under school rules. But Ryan was one of those kids who was hard to pin down. In the classroom, Ryan didn't say a whole lot. He spoke when he was spoken to. But his reddened cheeks gave away the fact that thinking out loud in front of others was not his favorite pastime. For Ryan, the bell for the close of the school day could not come soon enough. Windows down, country music blasting on the car stereo, a trail of dust behind him, and he was gone. It was on one of those journeys home that Ryan's life came to its premature end. He was driving too fast around a corner, lost control, veered off the road, and while a seatbelt most likely would have saved his life, he was not wearing one. He never did, apparently. And all of a sudden, the light we had shared as a school community turned to darkness. There is something particularly painful about the sudden loss of children, no matter how grown up those children seem to appear. And in our small school setting, Ryan's loss hit us hard. Teachers, and students alike were numb. As much as people tried, no explanation for Ryan's loss really worked. No neat divine plan that would fit. No test of faith that seemed to justify such a needless death. Neither the questions nor their formulaic answers helped. They simply distracted us from the real business at hand of meeting each other where we needed to be met. As chaplain of the school in the days that followed, I decided to walk the corridors of the dorms that in the evenings, dropping in on students I knew to have been close to Ryan and just being there for the rest. Some of the boys wanted to talk, yet as the days passed, I noticed that something else was happening. In their clumsy and adolescent sort of way, they were learning to listen to one another. And in that simple gift, the journey to healing began. How badly we could do with some of that right now in our nation's life. The capacity to listen such that we might have room enough to know who it is we are listening to. There is a chilling familiarity to the sequence of events as they have unfolded this week following the terrible loss of life in Las Vegas last Sunday. First, the sheer horror of it all. 
then speculation about the whys and the hows, followed by the well-rehearsed litany of cases to be made on each side of the political aisle, some of it the same as last time there was a mass shooting, some of it new, and all of it getting us nowhere, but more and more estranged from one another. Which is why it matters that you came here today. People have been critical this week of the use of the phrase thoughts and prayers, suggesting that thoughts and prayers are not enough, and of course they are not. Yet, it strikes me that as a church, as the church, our best hope of being of service to the world we live in is to be people who deeply engage in thought and prayer. For at times like this, the best that we may have to offer is the depth of our prayerful selves and the growing knowledge we might gain of a God whom a violent world has yet to truly know. It is true, I believe, that our country needs to have a real conversation about the place of guns in our society and the anomalous homicide and suicide rate that such weapons are part of. The first step to us beating our addiction to violence is to admit that we have a problem. Yet we would be remiss to limit the thought we give to such things to what happens within our 50 states. We live in a profoundly violent and weaponized world. In the imagery of Isaiah, the vineyard has produced the sour grapes of destruction the world over. We might ask why. Why is it that we find violence so entertaining? Why does violence sell movies and win elections? Why is it still so prevalent against women and children and the elderly in so many parts of the world? And given such a global reality and our seeming incapacity to do anything about it, why do people so quickly and easily dismiss nonviolence, the way of Jesus of Nazareth, as impractical or naive? We might be tempted into thinking that naivety is at work in the mind of the landowner in Jesus' parable we heard this morning. Once more in the vineyard, this time the vineyard of the world. On each occasion that the landowner seeks to collect the fruits of the land, the tenants kill the landowner's messenger. It happens twice over before the landowner decides to send his own son, who is also killed. What's the theology here then? Naive landowner, wicked tenants, if only God have more street smarts. It could seem that way, but the core element of the parable is actually at the end, in the form of the question Jesus asks. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The response the listeners offer is that the landowner will put those wretches to a miserable death. 
In other words, acts of violence call for greater acts of violence to set the record straight. Yet this is not Jesus' answer at all. His reply calls his listeners to return to the Scriptures, saying, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, Jesus' self-donation on the cross, his violent rejection at the hands of his people, is not the act of a naive God overpowered by the world. It is the revelation to us of the true nature of power, the only power, in fact, that has the capacity to change us. I believe that we live in a world addicted to violence because we continue to mistake power for our capacity to act over and against one another. I believe that we cannot talk to one another in this country about rights in our society because we continue to mistake freedom for what we think we should be entitled to get or have and not what our theology teaches freedom to be. The life in God where we are liberated from needing anything for ourselves. The world does need your thoughts and prayers, and it needs you to bring your capacity to listen with your ears inclined to the language of God's transformative and self-donating love. In doing so, I pray that you may know the grace to which you are called and bring that immeasurable power for transformation to the conversations around you. God is still listening for that heartbeat of love. So must we.